Larry and Marie Spicer, is that the right pronunciation? In our congregation this morning, they'll be sharing about their work with the Gideons. Uh, I just received the Gideon newsletter quite recently and was reading in there about, uh, there's a question there, do you remember when you were in grade five getting your New Testament at school? I still remember that. That was way back, I think, in 1955. And now you're doing the math, I know, but I think I was in grade five in 1955. But uh, I remember getting that New Testament. And I read in the newsletter also they've been doing that since sometime in the 1930s, I think it said in there, that they've been distributing uh, New Testaments in the schools. Um, I was always uh, a little ticked because uh, I only got one because, uh, well, grade five. And uh, Susie got two. She got another one, a nice white one, when she was in nurse's training. So she got two and I just got one. But uh, I recently I found, uh, I found our youngest daughter's uh, Gideon New Testament on my bookshelf, and I was just paging through it, and on the back, uh, one of the back pages there is my decision to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and she had written in there the date that she had done that, so that was... That was pretty meaningful for a father to see that. Uh, so welcome, uh, Larry and Marie. Uh, I should say here, too, that Marie is Reuben's sister. That's the family connection. We always want to play the Mennonite game, of course, so there it is. And so welcome to, uh, to our congregation here this morning. We're looking forward to what the Lord has put on your hearts. Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning. We are happy to be, be here. We have a lot to share, but we'll cut it down because uh, there were so many things, uh, ways in which God blessed and, um, and just showed us how he was working in the hearts of the people, particularly in Zambia. also want to tell you about th- uh, some important changes that have taken place in the Gideon ministry in the last three years. The, uh, the American Gideons and the Canadian Gideons are separate organizations now. And membership is open to women and men equally uh, in all all aspects. And um, there's far greater emphasis now in giving the, before giving them Bibles, to introduce them to the Lord Jesus and take them to the plan, take them through the plan of salvation, giving them an opportunity to accept the Lord and then giving them the Bibles. And we're very excited about that. Okay, are we on? Zambia has wonderful people. They're friendly, they're hospitable, they're very generous, and they are very impoverished. And um, they just could hardly wait to get a personal Bible. Officially, they are a Christian nation. We sense their love and their warmth many, many times over. They worked with us very well. Over 200 churches worked with us directly as we came into the field there. Uh, Zambia, <clears throat> uh, we worked in Lusaka. You'll see it in the bottom of the map, that purple area. Then you go directly up. There's kind of a mustard-colored area. That is the city of uh, Kitwe. And then just across from it, you'll see Ndola. Those are the three cities in which we did our major work. 
Our team was uh, consisted of 19 members from right across Canada, and this was the first hotel that we stayed at. It was a grand hotel, a good time to relax because we had not, many of us had traveled fairly extensively, but it wasn't an indication of hotels to follow after that. We did all our transportation by bus. In fact, the buses would take the Bibles and uh, transport us later on. It uh, was wonderful to have a really good uh, man at the steering wheel of our bus. His name was Malenga, he's an African Christian, and uh, we had many good times with him. And we never worried about it when he was at the wheel. Uh, the city is heavily The cities are heavily populated. Uh, it's not unusual to f have a hard time to find. It wasn't a, a hard. Sorry, it wasn't uh, easy to find a parking place for the bus many times because the cities were so full of cars, and uh, also there were a lot of people on the streets every day, especially when there was a market taking place. This is actually a market taking place. If you look to the very front of it, you will see that there are clothes lying on the floor. They would wear their clothes, wash them, clean the shoes, and bring them back to market, and then they would be resold. This is going into the country. We are still on the bus. And uh, this was a closed market. They, have, they sell everything on markets. Here in the country, it was not unusual to see many places where the markets were very, had very fresh produce. They would set it up in a very attractive way, and um, it, it was just a really interesting thing to see. Also, we saw charcoal being uh, very, very heavily loaded on those bikes, and the men would place a stick across the front of the handlebars so they could control the bike when it was so heavily loaded, and they would take the charcoal, charcoal home to their homes, and that's what they would burn to make uh, when they were making their meals. Uh, also walking, also along the road, we saw many, many people walking, and they walked many, many miles, 20, 30 miles. Uh, at night, we would also see children walking in the ditches in the highway. They didn't seem to be afraid, and uh, walking was the means of transportation there. I included this next picture just for your enjoyment. We saw many very interesting things on the highway that were transported that we weren't quite used to seeing in the cities here in Canada. Then, as we uh, went further along the main highway, we saw some of the homes that were still being, uh, still huts, where people were still living today. The huts weren't always shaped with the dome. They had many different shapes, but huts were more or less the, the homes that we saw in the outlying areas. <clears throat> then going into the city area, please take note of the homes in the background. They are built and constructed much more like what we're used to, and that was typical of the cities, but they were very small. But... Uh, we discovered that they do not have any garbage pickup. And what you see in the front is just whatever they throw out goes right onto the street, right onto the, uh, into their yards. And this is something that we had to get used to and we could get used to. Then I'd like to uh, uh, take you to some of the uh, work that we did. Uh, it was a wonderful experience to work with the pastors and uh, we divided into teams and where, where we needed to have a translator, <clears throat> they would supply a translator from their church. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and the bus would deliver the boxes, as I said, and then we would be transported to the church. We would pick up um, the Bibles from the boxes and then go out into the community. Uh, the larger churches, the next one there has a larger congregation, so you will see a lot more boxes there. Each of the boxes had 50 Bibles, 
And uh, you could sort of judge from the size of what they expected us to do by the number of boxes that were left in the church. And um, then the, um, on a Sunday morning, we had a distinct privilege. We could attend their Sunday morning worship. There is nothing like a Sunday morning African worship service. Uh, as they just love singing, and they love giving. Uh, we'd like to, if we can manage this, just to give you an idea of how they worship when they give their offerings. This is a highlight of Sunday morning. They're not as clear here as we would hope, but uh, they don't have offering plates. They have offering barrels. The big one is about this deep, and the other one is this deep. This one is for them, the church, and the smaller one is for missions, so they're designated right off the top. There we are. Just wanted to show you a few of the other churches. Some of them were big, some were small, some were uh, very, very fast growing in membership. And um, there's the second one, and then the third one. And um, I would like to draw attention to this one particularly because as we approached it, we saw something that we saw many times on the side of the road. This is an anthill in front of the church. Those of you who have been in Africa, you're very familiar with it. There were many of them, and many were larger and uh, taller. Uh, then the last church, please note the boxes there. Many of them are empty, and we are getting near the end of our ministry there. Okay, after we had picked up our boxes from the church and uh, put them into bags so that we could carry them around, we had the opportunity to go around in the uh, communities, and uh, when we needed a translator, as I said, they would be with us, and we could share the good news of salvation. The uh, back of the Testament has the outline, and it is so convenient, and they can take it home with them after and review it. And it is very simply, with um, Bible verses to match these titles, it simply tells them that God loves them, and that we are all sinners, and that God has a remedy for sin. And then we ask them, what is your response? And if they respond that they would like to accept him, then we pray together as they pray after me, and that's when we give them their own personal copy of a Bible. We had these beads. I'm sure you've seen them. Beads that show that uh, there's God loves us and we're all sinners and uh, you know his blood cleanses us. And we had them on uh, leather string, and we would have them handy for the children because there were just so many, many, many children in the communities. And we would give them each a bead and expl- uh, explain what it meant. Then the pastor standing beside me, as in this pa- next picture, uh, he was so excited about how clear it became to simply have a visual to give to the kids. And he also, we also noticed that the children had kind of been put aside, and these were teenage guys from off the street that wanted to have these beads. It really was important to them. So the pastor said, can I explain it this time? So that's why his hands are there, and he is explaining to these young people in the streets, and yes, we did give them beads that they could carry as a reminder of what the message was. 
then when we had finished that, a girl tapped my shoulder and said, you know, these people do need the Lord, but can I please take you to a place where there are people that need the Lord even far more than these people do? Well, I couldn't resist. I said yes, and she said, I have my car right outside. So I went with this woman I had never met before, got into her car, and we drove a long distance, and it seemed longer all the time. Uh, finally, we got there, and uh, here were a large group of men. They were obviously men that, that didn't have a home. They were homeless. They lived on the street. And they had all gathered around this kind of a shack. That really was the place where they would meet. And uh, she stopped the car, and she says, these are the people that really, really need the Lord. Well, as soon as we got out, and I had Bibles in my hand, you know, they were right around there, and the numbers increased constantly. And uh, <clears throat> we did share... Uh, with them, they wanted Bibles immediately, which uh, we knew was not the right way to go. So we shared with them the uh, four spiritual laws, the plan of salvation, you know, God loves you, and, and they listened extremely carefully. They just hung on to every word. It was so wonderful to see the, the absolute uh, desire that was in them to know about God and to know how they could change their lives. And, of course, after we had prayed, then we gave them each a copy of the Bible. And we left very quickly because we didn't have enough Bibles for all the men that were coming from the street. And it became a bit of a dangerous situation. Uh, now I'd like you to meet Frank, who is a man that Larry will share about afterwards. I just wanted you to meet him. Well, we, as I said, we worked with the pastors, and the Bibles were distributed in the different areas. And here we are in the city, back in the city. We are in the halls of uh, the hospital, and we had the privilege to talk to people, many, uh, many of the leaders there, to patients right in their beds. It's something I had never seen in Canada. But uh, I worked with the pastor, and uh, he walked into the uh, hospital, two people per bed, and uh, he watched to see if there were any nurses that were not needed and weren't busy right then. <clears throat> and then he would ask them whether they would like to talk about the Lord, and he would bring them to an office where I was situated, and I would share with them, again, that God loves them, and went through the process, and when we, when we would come to the place where we, I asked them if they wanted to accept him, it was yes, it was a, you know, just a joyous yes, I finally know, and I, I want to accept him. And I've got a few more pictures of a few more nurses that came, and each one of them was so very thankful that they had the opportunity to not only hear about the Lord and accept him, but they could have their own personal Bible. Well, then we replenished the Bibles again because we were going to a Christian college. Uh, the next picture there shows Larry with the translator that he worked with. Uh, I had a male translator. It worked very well to have a man and a woman because it was a, man, a male and female college. And um, the picture of the lady sitting on the bed, they each... Each uh, dormitory room that we went to, we were so welcome. We'd knock, and there was an immediate come in. And as soon as they saw us with Bibles, their eyes would light up, and they were waiting for us to share with them. It was amazing how many of the, of the students in this Christian college were not believers. And it was just amazing how anxious they were to accept the Lord. And when we gave them Bibles, they were just they would thank us over and over again, shake our hand, walk us to the door, and thank us again. Well, at the end of things, all the boxes get empty? No, not all of them. If you look carefully, there are some boxes that are not empty. And the reason for that is because the pastors came to us, and they said, you know, 
we wish that we could have Bibles for our entire congregations because the people in our congregations do not have a Bible. So we can speak to them Sunday morning, but they have nothing during the week to help them grow. And so we would love to have Bibles to give to our people so that they can grow. And then they can also reach out and win others so the multiplication is really really uh, actually increased. So that is why we left, even though we hadn't planned on that, uh, we left boxes of Bibles in some of the churches as we could, and uh, they will be put to very good use. You could be sure of that. Well, do Bibles really make that much of a difference? Do people really read them? Does it change their lives? Does it help them to become become more uh, of a leader in their community? Well, this lady was given a Bible last year. And it uh, just absolutely gave her opportunities that her heart had always desired. And the next uh, slide shows the picture of the Bible, that, that same Bible, as we saw it this year. It's very obvious that Bible was well used and many people had been won to the kingdom. Well, what does it look like? Um, what do the numbers look like? Well, you can read them. Uh, in the Philippines... Um, Bolivia, Peru, and Zambia are all three countries that Larry and I had the privilege of going to. This year in Zambia, there were 30,600 people that prayed one-to-one with one of us to ask the Lord to come into their heart. There were um, over 3,000 that over 3,000 that prayed in groups, like like I did with some of the men. Uh, they would all be there, and they would all pray together with us and ask the Lord into their heart. Altogether, we had over 20,000 people that asked the Lord into their heart during the two and two weeks that we were in Zambia. And I just thought it would be so good to end this. Uh, it's not going to sound quite the same as when the girls sang it, uh, Girls and One Gentleman. Uh, we were in a church. We were sort of uh, coming to a close, and all of a sudden, they jumped up and they went to the front of the church. No instrument, no uh, tuning pitch or anything. They just started to sing, and this is what they sounded like. Praise God. be able to match that in singing, so I'll give you the message just in words and without pictures. Way back in April 1789, Fletcher Christian was the name of the person that staged the most famous mutiny in history, the most famous because of the book called The Mutiny on the Bounty. Uh, It was the English ship HMS Bounty in the South Pacific, and the captain, William Bly, and those loyal to him were set adrift in an overloaded lifeboat, and they miraculously navigated about 3,700 miles. And that's what the book and the movie is about. 
But most of us never realized what happened to the mutineers. They were on the bounty that they took the captain off, and right away after that, they started quarreling about what to do next. Fletcher Christian is the guy that I mentioned before. He's the one that took the uprising, and uh, he uh, returned with the ship back to Tahiti. He left some fellow mutineers there. He kidnapped some women there. He took some people as slaves there, and then traveled with the remaining mutineers about a thousand miles to a uninhabited island called Pitcairn Island. Well, after that, disease and murder took the lives of all the men except one. That man's name was Alexander Smith, and he found himself on this uninhabited island except for himself and women and children. And then he found the Bible on the ship. As he read it, his heart was transformed. He began to instruct the survivors. He taught them the scriptures, helped to implement the instructions that he found in the Bible. That message of Christ from that Bible so transformed the lives of that community that 20 years later, the first time that another ship came there, what they found was a joyful society of Christians living in prosperity, living in peace, no crime, no disease, no murder, no mutiny. This demonstrates from history the power of the word of God. Isaiah 55 11, God says, My word goes out from my mouth and it will not return to me void, not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So this verse reminds us, again, that the word of God is completely trustworthy and immensely powerful. In fact, I would suggest to you, at the, as the topic in the Bible says, in the bulletin says, that the Bible is the ultimate book. And what I mean by that is, it's not only the most powerful, it's also the most precious and the most popular. It's the most popular book in the world. Year after year, it's actually the bestseller of all the books in this world. Homer's writings were translated into 40 different languages. Shakespeare's writings into over 60. But do you know how many translations the Bible has? over 2,500. So that's like 40 times more than the closest other author. Day after day, week after week, month after month, copies of God's word go out in record numbers. Over 7 million copies every year. In the past 40 years, the Bible has always been either first or second in the bestseller list. In this increasingly godless age, this fact is to me kind of weird and yet wonderful and and baffling all at the same time. So yes, it's the most popular book. Secondly, it's the most precious book. At the coronation of the monarch of England, a copy of the Bible is presented to the new monarch with these words. This book is the most valuable thing this world has to offer. This book is the most valuable thing this world has to offer. And then, as we said before, this book, this ultimate book, is the most powerful. Some years ago, I was traveling on behalf of Gideon's International, the American Association, and I was visiting camps in 
the country of Cameroon, Africa. One morning, Roblin Dewey was my companion, my translator, a fellow teacher, by the way, also. He knocked on my door, hotel door, at 10 to 6 in the morning, said, we've got to catch the bus. We're supposed to travel from the city we were in that time, Yokoduma, to the next city, uh, Baturi, where we were supposed to meet another group of Gideons, another camp, as we call them, our, our local name for our local group. We had the previous night processed 10 new applications for the camp in Yokoduma, and so we were still excited about that. Now, Broblem um, is a teacher and a phys ed teacher, a gymnastics coach, but he's also what I would call a, a social butterfly. He loves to talk to people. And so as we were waiting for this bus, and, and the buses in Cameroon, they don't leave when it says, like 6.30 was when it's supposed to leave. They wait until the bus is full. So we had a long time to wait, about two hours to wait. And um, but Roblin was talking to different people. Just before we got on the bus, he said, Larry, I've got a story for you. I just talked to a local pastor, and I just want to tell you what he told me. The story was that a pastor had been leading a church outside of Yokoduma, close to the city, for the past four years. And this church, he told Robin, had been started because of a Gideon distributing New Testaments to a group of boys about eight years ago. In other words, four years before the church started. Many of the boys had learned to read using the scriptures, and then many of them became believers. They asked somebody to come lead a Bible study. So somebody from a church in the city went out to the village to lead Bible studies, and four years ago, the church had begun. So Robin and I praised God for this way that he had really blessed. Well, we got on this bus, and we got stopped because a logging truck had got stuck in a big mud pie, and so we had to wait another three hours until that got cleared. But eventually, we got to this another city, Baturi. Uh, we got off the bus, and uh, there, Gideon's there had uh, not enough money for any of them owning a car, so we went from the bus to the home of the camp president, Henri, with a taxi motorbike. So we got on the back of the motorbike with our baggage, our briefcase, and our little bag of clothes and so on. And we went to this camp president, Henri Moma was his name. As I did these camp training sessions in Cameroon, after my training was over, going through the different things with these camp people, I always ended with what I call a Gideon story, a story of how somebody became a believer through the Gideon Bible. When I got to that place this time, in this camp meeting, I said to Roblin, I said, why don't you this time tell the story what you told me this morning about what happened outside the city in, in Yokoduma? So he started telling the story. And as he was telling the story, I was sitting across from Henri, the camp president, and as Roblin was telling a story, I noticed Henri getting very excited and more excited. And suddenly he couldn't help it. He blurted out, he said, that Gideon was me. I can't believe what happened. This was the first time he had heard what happened eight years ago. So he told briefly the circumstances. He had been teaching outside of the city, and he had traveled back and forth with a bus. He had felt led of God to have a little box of New Testaments as he traveled by bus back and forth. 
And this one time, as he was coming back from school, back from teaching, he saw these people, these youth, playing soccer beside the road. So he asked the bus, stop here, I'll catch the next bus in. And he went out and he talked to these about 20 youth about the Bible, went through the plan of salvation at the back, as Marie has mentioned. And they prayed the prayer of the sinner's prayer and became believers, but then he went on his way. And he hadn't heard anything eight years now until Roblin told that story. But what a great tribute to the power of the Word of God and the faithfulness of people like, like Henri. It is the Bible, actually, to which we owe our legacy of the law. The Ten Commandments are the moral and legal foundation of our Western civilization. Way, way back when the first common law was introduced by King Alfred the Great, he used the Ten Commandments and the laws from Exodus and the Golden Rule to get that common law in place. The Magna Carta, that was way in 1215, was the first statute, the first written restriction of the power of government, and that was written by a pastor, and it was completely saturated with Scripture. Well, of course, the very way what we keep track of our years is a testimony to the centrality of Christ. All of our history is divided into B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domino, meaning the year of our Lord. So the central focus of history is the birth of Christ. So why is this Bible the ultimate book? Why is it the most popular, the most powerful, and the most precious? Matthew 4.14 says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This actually gives me three reasons for the Bible being the ultimate book. The first one is there's a hunger in every person's heart. Whether they have heard about the Lord or not, there is that hunger that's much more than a physical hungering. It's a longing for God. It's a search to fulfill that longing that's seen in the popularity of the Bible and the way that we in Zambia found people just clamoring to get a copy of the Word of God. Secondly, and coming right alongside the physical hungering, is the fact that the Bible is God's Word. It's God speaking to us. God wants to communicate with us, and he uses the Bible to do that. The Bible is, as we know, 100% God-inspired, while 100% the work of human authors. As we know, 40 or more authors over a span of 1,500 years wrote that Bible. The third reason for it being the most popular, the most powerful, and most precious is that God chose that way to tell us how to get to God, how to, the way to God, the way to become Christians and to become going to heaven after we die. A man was traveling in the Middle East. This man happened not to be a Gideon, but uh, actually an OM missionary. He was traveling close to the Iran-Iraq border. In his trunk, he had boxes full of Bibles in the Kurdish language. He wasn't sure just how he was going to get these Bibles to the Kurdish people, but he had felt God wanted him to get these, this kind of language, Bibles, and making them available to the people, but he didn't have any contact person. 
As he neared the border, suddenly his steering wheel locked. He quickly braked, didn't have any accident, got out of the car to check what was wrong, but before he even got to the hood, a man from across the street walked up to him, directly up to him, and said to him, Where are the books? The driver, the missionary, said to himself, Is this a undercover policeman or border security person? How come I'm asked this kind of question? So he said, well, What do you mean? The man again said, Where are the books? The driver then said, Why are you, a Kurdish man here in this village, asking me, a stranger, that kind of a question? Here was his answer. In the past two weeks, almost uh, at least one person in almost every family in this village, my village, has had a dream. And that dream said that on this day, at this place on the road beside my house, a car would stop. And the driver would have books that would tell us the way to God. Where are the books? So they unloaded the boxes of books, boxes of Bibles. The man reached in his pocket and said, we knew you were coming, so here's some money to help pay. And of course, when the driver got back in the car, nothing wrong with the steering wheel at all. God had simply used that to stop the driver at the designated spot. Yes, the Bible is the most popular, precious, and powerful book because it tells us the way to God. And, of course, that's the most important message of the Bible. In the light of it being the ultimate book, what does that mean to us? Well, one very, very important implication is that God uses this word to speak to us. Marie mentioned that we'd been in Zambia and showed that picture of myself with Frank. That was an incident I'll tell you about that happened one afternoon in Lusaka. It illustrates how the word speaks directly to those who hear it or to read it. This afternoon, Marie was going with another group of people from the church while I went with a group of three other people. As we walked, the four of us, towards a marketplace... One of the group, her name was Loveness. I, I like the names that they have in, in Zambia. Uh, this young woman's name was Loveness. The, another young woman's name was Glory. And uh, the man was Ernest. So Loveness, one of the young women in the group, ser- shared that she could speak one of the tribal languages that was around that area. And Ernest mentioned he could speak another tribal language. Well, the woman Glory said... I can only speak English, so I I can't speak the tribal languages. I mention those details about these three people because that explains that I was sharing the gospel to just, at this point in time, two men instead of a group, like the pictures were showing, sharing with the group. So here was Frank and another fellow, and I was sharing the gospel, and with only two of us, I opened it to the back and, and went through the plan of salvation. After we got to the point about all of us being sinners, I had one of them read Romans 3.23. Everyone has sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. Frank said to me, well, if that's true, if we've all sinned and can't meet that standard, how can we become Christians? How can we go to heaven? 
And I said, wow, I'm so glad you asked, because now I can tell you the answer. Jesus' death on the cross is the answer, and we don't have to worry about the penalty of sin. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Romans 3.23. So Frank and the other man prayed the prayer, and we um, were rejoicing. Frank went on his way, and I went on my way to do other kinds of uh, witnessing and giving more Bibles and giving, praying more prayers with other people. About 45 minutes, Frank was back. He didn't have a Bible. I greeted him and said, Hi, Frank, how's it going? And he said, I did what you said. I took this Bible and I told my friend what had happened to me. And he said, How do I become a believer? So Frank said, I just did what you did with me. And I went through the plan of salvation. I gave him my Bible. Can I have another one, please? Yes, God uses his word to communicate with people and bring people into the kingdom. We appreciate the privilege we have of telling you about how God uses his word, about the Gideon ministry. And from what Brother Henry mentioned, we thank you for your donations. We thank you for your prayers. And finally, I know that the Boys of Camp is looking for new members. If anyone here is passionate about sharing your faith and wants to be excited like we are about sharing our faith, this is a good chance to do that, becoming a Gideon. May God lead us to follow his will in our lives. God bless.